on your word. We want to understand it, apply it, know it, do it. And so we, as we go into this old, old story, familiar story, I pray that it, you would make it uh, fresh and new for us. That we'd see the mysterious ways that you work in giving an old couple a baby. Not the first time you've done that for sure. And so we also know we enter into this story of your redemption. And we also are one of many who have entered into this work that you're doing. So I pray that as we, as we uh, look at your word this morning, we'd see our place in it, what you're saying to us in it, what we should learn from Zechariah in his life today. So bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I know I'll forget if I don't say it now, but uh, there's no Sunday school after church. So just so you know, uh, there's coffee, there is fellowship time. Stay as long as you like, within reason. But uh, there's no Sunday school. We're on Thanksgiving break this week. We'll pick it up next week, okay? All right, I'd invite you to turn to the book of Luke, chapter 1. And we're going to read the first... You heard um, the story of Zechariah uh, earlier during the Advent reading. And, and you also saw it illustrated on, on the video. And uh, maybe the thing I want to point out to you is the first few verses of Luke. You know, usually when you're doing your devotions and you start a new book, how many of you think, I can safely just skip those verses and keep on rolling? You know, those first verses that introduce the book. No, no, let's get to the meat. But I want to, you know, I want to look at this just for a moment. Luke chapter 1 kick off our season like this. Luke 1, verse 1. Luke says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those, from, uh, by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also for me to write an orderly account to you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you've been taught. That's how Luke starts. Now, we don't know a lot about Theophilus. He's called most excellent, so maybe he's an important person, uh, a person of note. But Luke says, I've, made, I've written down a detailed account. I've done my homework. I, I, I talked to people. I interviewed them. In our 21st century lingo, it would be like, I fact-checked it. You know, Everything I've written is how it actually happened. Now, of course, you can't fact-check using the Internet. How do you fact-check an ancient culture? Well, you talk to the storytellers. This is a, a, a culture of oral communication where, where people tell stories, and everybody knows the story, and they know it so well, but you have official storytellers that get the story really well. They're really good at telling it. You talk to those people. But even those people, if they were to get off a little bit, other people would know the story, and they could chime in themselves if they needed to. So, for instance, when we uh, a lot of you uh, read Christmas stories at some point in December, and there's that one, "'Twas the Night Before Christmas," right? And you know how that goes, right? It was the night before Christmas and all through the house. 
Not a creature was stirring except for a mouse. Right? See, see, and you, you, you all know that. You, you, you all know. It's not except for a mouse. It's not even a mouse. Just one little change and you guys all got it. Just like that. That's that culture of oral communication. We know the story. We know how it's supposed to be told. And in Luke's story, as he's investigating it, he says, there's angels. And this is something that could violate modern sensibilities, but we know that God made angels. He has messengers. He has servants that, that communicate. And the Christmas story is full of those angels. The angels that praise God at the birth of the Son. As the shepherds watch, the angels that talk to Ma- the angel that talks to Mary, the angel that talks to Zechariah, Gabriel, as we're looking at today. So this season, what we're doing is we're looking at some of these messages that angels gave to people during the Christmas, uh, during the first Christmas. That's what we're doing. We're, we're looking at those those messages. So it's called the Call of Christmas. And as we're looking at today, we're talking about Zechariah and what Gabriel had to say to him. So let's do that now. Now, as you saw in the video, uh, Zechariah is a priest. And he goes into the temple to offer incense. And and this is a huge honor, a a huge deal, because the priest gets chosen by lot. And so uh, there's so many priests that want to do this. And this is like a day of days. This is like a a once-in-a-lifetime. And Zechariah is in there, and then Gabriel speaks to him. He shows up and talks to him and says, you're going to have a son. And Zechariah is like, no, we're too old for that. And, and he expresses disbelief. And because he expresses disbelief, Gabriel says, you will not be able to speak until this, your son is born. And so he's mute. Mute for nine months. Okay? So what I want to do, what I want to focus on this morning is the fact that Gabriel made Zechariah silent. I just want to focus on the silence of Zechariah. Now, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a punishment, right? It's a punishment, you know? You didn't believe, so now you can't talk. But I think it's more than a punishment because if God disciplines his kids, isn't there a redemptive purpose for it? Isn't there a good reason for it? Isn't there a reason that God does things in our life, even, even the difficult things have a redemptive purpose? There's something good going on here. And so Zechariah being silent is not just a punishment, but there's something more going on. He's going to have nine months to think about what he's heard, to think about how he responded, to consider what God is doing. I mean, when Gabriel says... He, this, this, your son's going to go in the spirit and the power of Elijah and, and turn the hearts of the fathers to children. He's quoting the Old Testament. God is up to something. The Messiah is coming. And, and your son, John the Baptist, he's going to prepare the way. This is a huge statement. But Zechariah doesn't believe because he's just way too old. Let's talk about that silence for a minute. This is my main idea. I, I want to I say it from the get-go. Um, we ought to, in silence contemplate the works of God. Now, I want you to think of Mary. I mean, we'll talk about her this month, this next month as well. But when Mary gets angelic messages, you know, she, it says she, she ponders things in her heart. 
I mean, she does have questions like, how can this be? I'm a virgin. You know, but she asks the questions, but it's not disbelieving. It's, it's like, it, this is just wondrous, and I'm thinking about it, I'm wrestling with it. Zechariah expresses disbelief, and so he's silenced. Mary ponders in her heart. So this season, in silence, let us think about God's works. Let's think about what He's done this year, what He's accomplished this year. Let's think about what He's done in sending His Son. Um, spiritual disciplines, we often think, are things that we do, like Bible reading, prayer, worship, giving an offering, serving, spiritual disciplines. But spiritual disciplines are also things that you don't do, like fasting or like silence. Silence is a discipline. Now, um, the reason this is a good discipline for us is because our world is filled with noise. I mean, let's just say our problem is noise pollution. There's noise everywhere. Maybe the Grinch was right when he said, all the noise, 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 right? Maybe he was on to something because there's so much noise. I think all of you have that moment where you're shopping uh, and, and you go in the store and you hear the Christmas songs come on. You're like, what, October? You know, and it's just like shocking, right? Or maybe it's early November. But, but it's just like that moment when you're like, it's here. It's here. They're playing the Christmas music, which makes you want to buy more, apparently. Uh, and that's why they do it. Our problem is noise pollution. We've got our phones. We've got our social media. We've got uh, music. We've got TV. We have so much coming at us in the form of noise. And some of us just don't even know how to do silence. Just to be quiet. But, but if you want to contemplate God, you're going to need silence. Yes, I know you can do it during worship music. I know you can do it as you sing. I, I totally get that. That's totally legitimate. But there's a place that you need to go in silence with God. And that's what we're talking about today. Our problem is noise pollution. The noise, noise, noise. And we got to turn it off. Often when I'm sitting down with somebody and having a meeting, um, occasionally I forget to silence my phone and it'll go off. And I'm like, why do I forget that? Because what I want to communicate is the person that I'm with is the most important person right now. It's not the phone. It's the person across from me. Turn it down. Turn it off. Our problem's noise pollution. And I think things are so noisy in our lives. For some of us, we don't know how to do silence. We're not used to silence. We don't practice it. So what does silence look like? Well, uh, let's say this. Our silence has to be intentional. So, so we're very different than Zechariah in this way. Zechariah said, how can this be? We're too old to have a kid. He expressed disbelief in what Gabriel was saying, which was what God is saying. And so he was silenced uh, by God's command, by, by what Gabriel said. But our silence is, has to be more intentional than that. We have to choose silence. We have to choose to turn things off, to, to put things on vibrate or to set things aside. We have to choose it for ourselves. And that makes it hard because... Um, if you're talking to somebody and, 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 and you're trying to understand them, you have a choice in that moment. Am I going to try to listen here or am I just going to try to respond and think about what I'm going to say back to them? Am I going to be a good listener 
Or am I going to be a good responder? And, and you have to intentionally choose silence to go there. Your silence has to be intentional. Um, yes, and Elizabeth. Uh, later in Luke 1, it says when Elizabeth is pregnant, she went into hiding. Even then, she chose a life of silence during her pregnancy, during this time. It's got to be intentional. We're not like Zechariah so much. But our silence also has to be wise. Our silence has to be wise because there's times when you shouldn't be silent. I think in Esther, there's this amazing passage where Esther's being told, you can't be silent right now. You, you have a, a position as queen to speak up and save your people. You can't be silent. Or Ecclesiastes, right, that says, we could put that up, there's a time, time to tear, time to sow, time to keep silence and a time to speak. It takes wisdom to know when should I talk, when should I not. But when injustice happens, you should speak up. But there are also times to just be quiet. And it takes wisdom to know the difference. When we're all together in worship singing, that's not the time to be silent, typically. Now, maybe sometimes I've been silent in worship and I've just let other people's worship kind of soak in. But for the most part, typically, that's the time to speak, the time to sing. If I stood up here for half an hour, that's probably not the right time to be silent, right? You know? So you've got to exercise wisdom in this. Now, sometimes I would say our silence is imposed by God. Sometimes our silence is given to us by the Lord. Have you ever been laying in your hospital bed? Assuming the TV's off? And you're just thinking about life? About what's going on with your body? About your family? About the Lord? Sometimes our silence is imposed by God. In sickness. Or maybe it was a conflict between you and somebody else and you're like, I just can't figure this out. And and you're thinking about it. You're wrestling with it. You're praying about it. Like, God, I need your help. But you're you're spending that time in silence trying to figure it out. God does allow hard things in your life to bring that silence where you can go to a place where you consider the working of God. If we can bring up the main point again. um, Oh, we can, yeah. Our silence is sometimes imposed by the Lord. We'll do the Psalms verse. Uh, Psalm 4.4, be angry and do not sin. So I'm assuming the psalmist is saying, something has happened that has made me angry. But don't sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Selah, which is a pause in itself. Just pause. Be silent. Lay in your bed. Consider what's going on. You can be angry, but maybe in your anger you just need to lay there and to consider what the Lord is doing and ask Him, God, what are you doing here? What are you up to? I want to seek you in this moment. Um, So again, our main point, if we can bring up the main point again, is that in silence we contemplate the works of God. That's what we do. We, We contemplate what God is doing. You think about, what is He up to in my life? Where do I see Him working? What is He doing in me? What is he trying to produce in me? If I were to ask you the question, how is God growing you right now, what would you say? 
If I was to ask you, what's God doing in your life right now, what would you say? Now, sometimes in my life, I have no answer for that. I, I, I'm considering it. I'm not sure about it. I've got to think more. There's times when I have no answer, and that's okay. But I do think we need to be people of silence, regular silence, so that we can think about what God is doing, to consider it. I'd love to spend then a few more minutes talking about the benefits of silence. You know, what do we get out of this? What was Zechariah supposed to get out of this, this silent nine months of time? Why do this? I'll give you four this morning and hopefully encourage you in your own pursuit of silence. Number one, in silence, we have less room to talk up or down our image. If you look at 18 through 20, this is what Zechariah does. He's just heard he's going to have a son. And Zechariah in 18 says, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. For, notice he doesn't say old for his wife. He just says well along. Maybe that's a nicer way of saying it for the wife. I, I don't know. I'm not sure. But you ought to be careful when you talk about your wife. Uh, in silence... There's no need to talk up your image or talk down your image. I'm talking about in relationship with people now. As you're, doing, as you're communicating with people that you know, your friends, your family, often we fill that time with words and, and we want the words to say something about our image, say something about who we are. Fill in that space and let them think something good about us. I want people to think well of me, so I'm going to say these things. I'm so concerned about image. That's who we are. Reputation. What are people thinking about me? What are people saying about me? And in the silence, there's no need to do that. You don't have to talk yourself up or down, as the case may be, if you're a little more pessimistic. You don't have to go there. You just let the silence do it. You let God do it. Have you ever been wrongfully accused? Your first inclination when you're wrongfully accused is to say, let me set the record straight. And then you lay it all out there. When someone gossips about you, you want, you want to go to that person, or you want to go to every, you want to find like, can I find everybody they talk to and, and try to make this right? But consider that God defends you. I think that's the next verse. Exodus 14, 14. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. God will fight for me in the silence? You mean I don't have to be my biggest defender? I don't have to be my biggest promoter about how great I am and how everybody should think about me? You don't. You, you, you can actually let that be silent. That, that's actually humility right there. That you would just let that go and let God defend you. Let God tell people what you're really like. And we don't have to build up our image with a whole bunch of words. And I think for Zechariah, this was a good lesson. (laughs) Don't tell me how old you are, Zechariah. I know how old you are. Which leads to number two. Uh, Number two. In the silence... God's promises are much more significant than your logic. Here's a problem for us. We, we want reasons for everything. 
I think in America we have a low tolerance for mystery. Like, it's okay to say, I don't understand what God is doing, but I kind of see pieces. I kind of see some things that are happening here. Um, we have low tolerance for that. What, what are you doing, God? Let's read 13 through 17. T- take a look at this. Uh, 13 through 17. God, what are you up to? Here's what God's up to. The angel said to him, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer's been heard. Your, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you're going to give him the name John. He'll be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. So if I'm I'm hearing this, I'm thinking, okay, my son is going to be a joy to me. I'm going to love this son. He's going to be pleasing to me. People are going to rejoice because he's born. And then verse 15, he'll be great in the sight of the Lord. Okay, so he's going to serve the Lord. He'll be a spiritual man. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from birth. This is a guy serving the Lord, full of the Holy Spirit, like a Nazarene, doesn't drink. This guy is going to be incredible. And then it says, many people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord our God. He's an evangelist. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. There's the promise. And Zechariah then says, how can I be sure of this? This promise that's been made. In the silence, you have to consider that God's promises are more important, more significant than your logic. No, I can't figure out why that thing happened to you. No, I can't figure out why 2016 was a tough year. No, I can't figure out why you lost your job, why this relationship ended. I can't tell you all the whys. I can't reason it out for you, and you can't often can't reason it out for yourself. But God's promise is more significant than that logic. That is, if you open up His Word, in the midst of the hard thing that's going on, you read promises and you trust them. You trust the promises of God. I'm with you. I won't forsake you. I'll go with you in it. I have a good plan, a good purpose in this. I work all things out for your good. And when you hold on to those promises, you realize they're better. They're actually better than knowing all the reasons behind whatever happened. I don't know how old people are going to conceive a child. I I have no idea how that's going to work. But you don't need to because God said it's going to happen. I don't know how the virgin conceives by the Holy Spirit. But guess what? It's going to happen. I can't explain the mechanics of that. I don't need to. And in fact, it's a little weird to try to figure that out. But let me tell you, it happened. It happened because it was promised, and by the power of God, He does what He says He's going to do. So when it comes to the things you don't know, would you intentionally, in the silence, turn to the promises of God instead of all the things you need an answer for? And that will give you hope. That's a sure place to stand. Um, Asaph is a guy in the Psalms, I think it's Psalm 73, which would be a great one for you to read sometime this week. Um, Asaph said, um, when he looked at the arrogant, he envied them because wicked people, were, they were rich, they were healthy, they had everything going their way. And he said, my feet almost slipped which is a great analogy for Wisconsin. We're all worried about slipping. You know, we don't want to slip in the, in, the, in the icy stuff on the ground. But he had doubts. 
And, and in the silence, though, you have to cling to the promises. Let me move on. Uh, in the silence, there is productive waiting. There's productive waiting. Uh, Zechariah had nine long months of it. When you're laying in the bed in the hospital, when you're waiting for the illness to pass, when you're waiting for the conflict to resolve, there's all this productive waiting. When you're waiting for good things to happen, it's productive. It's not wasted. Go to the silent places. If you're waiting to get married, you know, there's all sorts of things we wait for. And those are productive waiting periods because you get to have time with God in silence to consider what He is doing during that time of waiting. Uh, can we bring the psalm passage up? For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from Him. In the silence you wait on God. And He shows up. He'll speak to you. He'll show you things in the silence. That's where you wait for Him. So, Zechariah, nine months without talking seems to be a long time, but not one moment needs to be wasted. God wants to use each of those moments. And He wants to use your moments too. And fourthly and finally, in the silence, there is a lot less room to scoff at the work of God. 18 through 20. Zechariah says, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. And the angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you'll be silent and you won't be able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. What do you think? Would Zechariah have been mute if he didn't open his mouth up and say what he said? Like, what if he just kept his doubts to himself? I I don't know. I, I just, I don't know. But I know that he opened his mouth and he expressed the fact that he could not believe that could be true. How is that going to be? In the silence, there's a lot less room to scoff at the work of God. Some of you have had a hard experience with a church somewhere, somehow, or a hard experience with a Christian somewhere, a Christian that didn't act very Christianly, Christian-ish. What's the right word for that? Um, Christ-like. How about that? Uh, you had an experience with somebody, and it has tempted you to scoff at the church, scoff at the Lord. It's tempted you not to believe. My, what I would say to you this morning is that let there be silence to consider who God is. Open your Bible up. Look at it for yourself because maybe that church or maybe that Christian did not portray the God of the Bible. Maybe their life didn't match. Jesus pointed out these people all the time. They're called hypocrites, right? And churches can be that way. Christians can be that way. The fact is we all sin. So let there be silence so that you don't mock the church. So you don't mock the Lord. Don't go there. Because God can do a lot more than silence you. He can do a lot more than make you mute for nine months. He is the Lord. He is sovereign. And we humble ourselves under Him. This Christmas, I would invite you to spend some time, get in a comfortable chair, open your Bible up, 
and ask, what is God doing in my life right now? What is he saying to me? What has he done over the last year? What kind of journey am I on right now in my spiritual life? Ask him those questions. When there's hard things, ask him. When it's good, ask him. Thank him. Spend time with him. That is what he's calling us to do to get ready for Christmas. If I was to ask you, how's your soul doing this morning? What would you say? Can I just give us a minute of silence to consider that question? Spend that time.